How do we begin again with our core responsibilities in life? So think about what those are for you. What are your, what, what is on your shoulders? What is on your plate in life? What are those core responsibilities that make up your life? And it might be that you have in your mind even like a, like a, a pie chart of breaking down the responsibilities of your life. And, you know, it may involve work, which, you know, I'd say most of you here probably have a job and you may have piles of papers, stacks of, of, of assignments to do and projects that need to get done or there's deadlines and meetings and quotas and all these things at work. And then there's the at-home kind of area of life where you, if you're a parent, you've got those responsibilities and you, your children may be changing and just the stages they're in, you know, it's always changing and that's, it presents some new challenges for parents. Then there's the chores around the home. There's the yard work. There's the broken things at home. There's the sprinklers that, again, you, you hear that thing in the middle of the night. You're like, what is that sound? It's the sprinkler that's exploding you know, into the air. And you're like, i got to fix that. There's the meals to cook. There's the planning. There's the, the, the laundry and all these different things. And then there's the schoolwork. If you're a student, which I know many of you are, there's the papers that you've got to do and the books that you've got to read and, and the deadlines and all of that and, and on and on and Whenever our core responsibilities start spinning out of control, it can lead to a sort of dread in life. And I want to, that's the title this morning, Beyond the Dread. And so, there are two basic kinds of dread in life that we face. The first one is this, it's a striking fear that I'm going into a fight that I just can't win. And with our responsibilities in life, it can feel like we're up against this daunting task or this giant opponent that we call our responsibilities. And so students, it could be that you're, you're, you're looking at your syllabus and you see all of the 10 to 12 page papers that are due this semester and you feel like, there is no way I'm going to win this fight. And like, this is, this is unimaginable pressure. When am I going to find the time? Or parents, it could be that you're, you're trying to train your children you know, maybe for the hundredth time to clear their plate. Um, or to do whatever it is you're trying to train them to do and it's wearing you down. You feel like, this is a fight I just can't win. And, or it could be tackling the to-do lists that, that are just beyond your abilities. And, and sometimes that's the case. You have these things on your list of to-dos and you feel like, I, I can't, I don't even know where to go. I don't even know where to get started. Or at work when the deadlines are just, in quotas, seem impossible. Or maybe the boss that you have seems impossible to please. And you feel like, that's, this is my life. I'm up against <laughs> a daily grind of things I just feel like I'm powerless to really push past. There's a different type of dread, and it's defined this way. A fear that I'm going to spend my life on the meaningless. Look at this guy. He's just up to his eyeballs in... What he would say is meaningless work. How, how am I going to continue to do this year after year after year? I imagine my life differently at this point. Well, whenever dread begins to hit us, it can overwhelm us. Even just to do the regular chores of our life, the regular mundane things can just be overwhelming, even crippling. We can get discouraged. We can get frustrated. And I, and I, I'm sure that in your life, you have these areas where you, you can identify, where you feel like, yeah, there's, that's where the dread of my life comes from. It's from that specific area. I have the same things. 
since I got back from Guatemala, I went to Guatemala in July, um, our, our church, we began to make preparations to move um, to a different church office. And so right before I left for this mission trip to Guatemala, I signed, I had forgotten I did this, but I signed the paperwork to say, we're going to move, we're committing to a new lease. And I get back, and I think one of my staff members reminded me, so when are we going to get started on that office move? I was like, oh, we signed that, didn't we? There was so much going on. So anyway, I started trying to get my mind around this and talk to a couple of the, the guys of the church who, who, who would be involved in that process and just trying to get our minds around what's gonna, what is this going to look like? And, and I had never been involved in a build-out before of anything to this proportion. And it's, it's about a 2,000-square-foot dance studio, so we all look forward to you guys seeing it here in the next few weeks. But for, for many of those who've been involved kind of in that regular build-out process, which many, many of you have, it's, it's added this additional workload to your plate, to my plate. And so there's this, there are these normal duties that you're responsible for. There's the normal things you're already committed to in life. But then, if you've been involved in that build-out with us, then you've taken on some additional uh, responsibilities for those days or for those hours that you're involved in the in the mix, and so what that's done, I think for for me and some of you is, and it can just sap your energy. It can, it can it can keep your anxiety level high. There can be tension that comes from that. You can deal with all sorts of emotions, and you can feel more cranky. And I know I have at points, and but that's the, that's the experience that we have in life when we. When our responsibilities just become heavy and overwhelming and there's all this pressure. And so, so the big question is, how, how much dread do you need to have, do we need to see in our lives before we actually decide that I need to do something about this? I need to respond to this in a different way. When is the pressure so great in your life where you might actually admit to someone, I, I need help. I need, I need some perspective. And I, I can imagine in a, in a you know, group this size, there's this collective pressure that we face in our lives. And so the big question we're asking this morning is this. How do we begin again before we burn out? How do we begin again before we burn out? So I want to pray, and then we'll try to answer that question. Father, thank you for your word. It is truly a lamp and a light. Lord, it leads us out of dark spots. It takes us out of foggy seasons of life. Or, or if anything, Lord, it... it Provides the very next step, Lord, as we're walking through the darkness and through the fog until it's lifted. And so, God, once again, we just ask you for your help. We pray that your Holy Spirit would convince us of your truth. God, I'm really powerless to do that. But you, you have the ability to get a hold of our hearts, engage our minds in your truth, and then bring us along to a point where we begin to obey you. So I pray that that would be what happens here this morning. Lord, help us to, to respond to you. As you lead us, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Ultimately, we're asking, what do I do in the midst of dreadful times? What do I do in the midst of discouraging times? Now, there's a man named Nehemiah that I want to look at his story from the Bible. Who, who his story is, it shows us this is the right way to face dread and problems in life. And so, you'll see there's these different ways to start over in the face of dread. And, and he's, his life is really an example. The book of Nehemiah, it's an Old Testament book which describes the efforts of a leader who tries to rally 
basically the Jews to rebuild their lives and, and rebuild the walls that had been broken down around the city of Jerusalem after decades of, of war. And then the people of, of, of God had been taken captive and exiled to a foreign land, a place called Babylon. And at a certain point, the Jews were allowed to return to their homeland. And they were able to go home. And so in phases, people started going home into Jerusalem after they'd been gone for decades, okay? And when the people returned, many of them found that their lives and then the, the, their whole countryside and their homeland, the temple, everything was just in ruin. Everything was in rubble. And so those people who returned home, they weren't that excited because life at home was pretty hopeless. And life was pretty discouraging for them. And not all the Jews returned. But what began to happen was news of the sad state of Jerusalem began to spread through the region. And so people that were displaced began to hear about how life was like back at home in Jerusalem. And news eventually spread to a man named Nehemiah who was in Babylon at the time. Babylon was about 700 miles away from Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, he was serving as the cupbearer to the Persian king, Artaxerxes. Okay? And, and he was the guy that would check to make sure there wasn't any poison in the, in the wine. There wasn't any poison, basically, in, in the drink that the king would be served. And so he was sniffing it out, making sure everything was good to go before it would be served. And that, that was Nehemiah's role. And this story we're going to look at is really Nehemiah getting involved in um, restoring Jerusalem. Now, if you're asking, who is this guy, though? What does this have to do with me? Uh, it would be like, and I, I've been thinking about... How could we identify with this situation? Because this is, you know, you might feel like, I don't, I don't get the connection here. And so, it would be like you grew up in Southern California. And you move to Colorado. And you have all this family back in, now this may be a stretch, but you have all this family back in Southern California. And you just decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move, start a new life. But then news begins to travel through the internet to you about all of the chaos going on with your extended family back in Southern California. Lives are falling apart. There's challenges at home. Marriages are falling apart. Children are in conflict with their parents. And, and houses are breaking down. There's, there's, uh, let's say there was an earthquake here in Southern California. And it, you know, just like things happen. And you're like, I, I got to do something about this. Now, and so you decide... This is my family. I'm going to go home to Southern California and get involved in the rebuilding process. That's very, very similar to what we see here with Nehemiah. Okay? His heart was tied to the land and to the people, to his people, the Jews. And so, Nehemiah, he was burdened when he began to hear the news that Jerusalem was in rubble and really had been destroyed. And so he began to express a real deep concern for their welfare. And so the, the book begins with Nehemiah trying to get a status of how the Jews were doing back in Jerusalem. Now remember, he is in Babylon 700 miles away, but here's, here's how it goes. In verse 2, basically there's, it, it introduces him. And in verse 2, there's this person there from, uh, from Jerusalem. A group had come and he had heard these, he'd heard some familiar voices basically, or at least a familiar language. And so here's what happened. He hears these guys are speaking his language and he says, And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, this is the report these Jews had, were giving him, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. 
The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, this may not matter to you, but to them, this, this, was, this was devastating. God's people were, were ashamed to live back in their land. Their, their land was torn down. And so try to get your mind around what that might feel like if it were you. And this was horrible news. Even, even though the Jews were allowed to return without these city walls or gates being rebuilt, that left the city of Jerusalem defenseless against enemy attacks. And so Nehemiah, he understood this. Now, he worked for the king. And so he understood top-down leadership. He understood what needed to happen here. And so he was overwhelmed with this sadness as he thought through this dire situation. But then, as you see what happens in the story, he provides a real helpful response of what to do in the midst of, of a dreadful situation. So he decides first to do this. He decides to ask God for help. It's the first thing. He asks God for help. Look at verse 4. Verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, basically that things were in such sad shape, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He had this tremendous weight on his shoulders and a great burden that he realized he just couldn't bear that alone. And so instead of trying to take that upon himself, he decides to sit down and turn to God for help. He begins to pray. Look at what he prays. Verse 5. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I... And my father's house have sinned. Whenever we face something dreadful, we can run all sorts of scenarios in our mind before we realize, man, we need to stop and ask God for help. And so Nehemiah's example, I think the most important example he gives, is he turns to God first. Rather than being overwhelmed with the situation, in his prayer, he just turns to God. And he, he begins to admit his own sin. He, he says, God, we, our, our land is torn down. And he says, God, we have sinned against you. He, he kind of prays the repentant prayer, confessing the sin of his people. We have done wrong towards you. They, they had been, God allowed them to be carried off and taken away and for all this to go on because of their sin. And he's just acknowledging, God, we did this. We're sorry. And then he says, look, I, I've done this. He, he says, even, even I, my father's house, have sinned. Nehemiah wasn't a perfect man. He's admitting his own sin. He's saying, God, I've even crossed your lines. And out of humility, he just confessed his need for God and for his help and for his direction. And I'm sure Nehemiah was not sure exactly what he could do from 700 miles away. He wasn't sure what he could do, but he knew for sure that he could trust God to lead him. So he's just praying. The situation was so, desire, so dire that he just realized, God, I need to, I need to ask you for, for help here. Now, I can identify with this. We'll go back to just this past few months. A few weeks ago, I was sitting up at about 11 p.m. I was about to, I think, head the next day to a retreat in Northern California. And I was asking questions like, why did I agree to do this? <laughs> why did I agree to go up to speak at this retreat? This is the worst possible time for me to leave town. Our office... You know, it's not like the walls were in ruin and rubble, but I was feeling like there's this, there's this thing that needs my attention here, and here you are leaving. 
There's messages to prepare for. There's deadlines to meet. There's, there's, thing, there's meetings to, to be had. There's conversations. There's counseling appointments. There's all sorts of things that I'm needed to do right now. And, and I was sitting in, my, in one of my chairs up in my bedroom and I was just completely overwhelmed. And my heart was pumping and I was just like... I, I've never had like a serious panic attack. But I was, on, I was seriously on the brink of, of something like that. And I just had to pull my thoughts together in order to not, like, just freak out and, like, you know, like, throw the chair through the window. I mean, I don't know if I would have really done that, but I don't know if you've ever felt that overwhelmed and anxious. I was really, really anxious, and I had never, I don't think I'd really felt that quite that way before. And, and, and rather than, like, and sometimes when I feel that way, what I want to do is I want to bring other people into that stress. So it's like, honey, get up here and help me, and and then uh, tell her about it so she can, she can be, I don't know what. <laughs> so I realized that's not going to help. I couldn't go, you know, barking at anyone. What did I need to do? I just needed to to be quiet and and turn to God. And so that's all I could do at that point. All I could do is just talk to God. God, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's on my plate. What's on my mind right now? I'm overwhelmed right now. And what God did at that moment was God just brought the help that I needed. He brought it. Like, the the problems didn't go away. The pressure and the responsibilities remained mine. Because I would say all of those things that were on my mind were my responsibilities. It was no one else's. And, And... but what God brought was He brought a peace and He was able to provide a focus that I could regain to just keep going. And so, no matter how burdened you might be, and no matter how much dread you feel like you're under, which I, I believe that many of you are, I know many of you, and I know what's going on in many of your lives, asking God for help is the key. It's not just something that we tack at the top of the illustration or to say, you know, ask God for help. Okay, check, I know that. We really need to do this. So after Nehemiah turned to God for help, basically his king could see that he was brokenhearted over something. Something was on his mind. He talked to his king about what's going on. And he said, yeah, my people are in rubble. And, and the king says, well, go. go. Go be involved in this. Go help. Go see what you can do to help. This foreign king who had you know, held captive his people sends Nehemiah to go back to be helped. And now this becomes Nehemiah's responsibility. It would be it would be like because what was going on was God said Nehemiah, you get involved in the situation. Nehemiah turned to God for help, and God said, "Okay, go do something about it. I'm going to make a way." And so he he moves the king's heart to release Nehemiah to go. And and once Nehemiah arrived in 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 Jerusalem, we find another crucial step here. Okay, so here's the next thing: is he starts assessing the mess. When it comes to your core responsibilities, you've got to figure out where, where are the lines of responsibility. You've got to assess the mess. You've got to assess the damage. You've got to assess what's broken. You've got to take an account of things that need attention. You have to assess the mess. And so Nehemiah, he needed to see for himself what, what work actually needed to be done. He needed to carry out an inspection. So he begins to do that. It's no use just being burdened. He needed to actually get past that and actually start figuring things out. So verse 11 in chapter 2, we're going to move ahead to that. Verse 11 says, So I went to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. And then in verse 15, and just the verses 12, 13, 14 talks about where he walked. Okay, And then verse 15, Then I went up in the night by the valley, and I inspected the wall. 
And I turned back and I entered by the valley gate and so returned. Now the wall, again, this is very important. Rebuild the wall, repair the gates because without walls and gates, it leaves a city defenseless for future attack. And so this was what was most on his mind. And he just traveled around. He wasn't distancing himself from the problem. But he, he went there, he got involved. He was actually determining what specifically needed to be done. Now this is crucial for us. If you're overwhelmed right now, rather than burying your head in the sand, rather than freaking out, rather than just giving in to the emotions, like what I was beginning to sense mounting in me, and what I was experiencing, getting our minds around, okay, what, what are my responsibilities again? I don't know about you, but whenever I'm faced with difficulty, sometimes I don't want to do that. Sometimes I don't want to know what the problems really are. I told you about that retreat. On the way back home, we realized we're right above Yosemite. And so we drove through the Yosemite Park, which I hadn't been there since I was a kid. But we drove through Yosemite. And I'm sitting in the... Myself and Cody and his, his family and, and my oldest son were sitting in the valley, which is this beautiful part of Yosemite. And you're looking at these amazing structures that you see, like on my computer, because I have Yosemite on my Mac. So I have the half dome right there. And, and are you, you, know, you see it on TV, and, and it's this like magical land. It almost like, how did I not know this existed in our state? That this is accessible. We can see it. And for a moment, my responsibilities were totally out of sight and out of mind. It would have been nice to just, you know, when you're under pressure, it would be nice to just decide, I'm going to relocate here and now. Call my family, tell them to meet me up here, start a new life right here in this beautiful valley. Out of sight, out of mind. But we miss so much if we do that, if we just abandon responsibilities. And so I could only stay there for a couple hours and then get back, get back home. And Nehemiah, he, he just, you know, he, he shows us as he's taking this inspection, man, you can't check out. You have to get your mind around this thing. Then the next thing, get started. He basically decides, okay, here's, here's what needs to happen. Let's get started. Check out what he says to his, he gathers the countrymen. He gathers the officials. He doesn't tell them why he's there yet. And then, He's just walking around. And then he says this. Chapter 2, verse 17 through 18. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruin with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. So he's basically saying, Now's the time. We've got to do something about it. Let's, let's get started. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. So he, they needed a leader. And he said, look, let's rebuild this together. And they said, let's do it. We're in. Let us rise up and let's rebuild. God's going to strengthen our hands. Now, to rebuild your, your own lives, to rebuild beyond the dread and your responsibilities, you, you can't pull that off in your own strength. Again, they're recognizing God needs to provide the strength for us to do this. What strengthens our hands? There's a few things. Number one, time with God. This is, you could just jot this down, but that, that verse there, the bottom of verse 18, there are some things that really strengthen our hands so we can accomplish our core responsibilities. One is time with God. Spending time with God. God, I need to seek your face. I need to, I need to just spend time talking to you, reading your word for myself. Letting you speak to me. Letting me 
talk to you about the issues, the core responsibilities that are on my plate. Let me talk to you about the deadlines, the quotas. You, you already know these things, but God, let me just have conversation with you. I want to hear from you about this. And getting into His Word. And then secondly, hard things that are hard to handle. That, that strengthens your hands. Holding pebbles in our life will not develop calluses. But bricks will develop calluses. And so, holding hard things, bearing weighty responsibilities are actually good things for us. That strengthens our hands. Sometimes we have to handle things that just seem way beyond us in order to grow. And God allows these bricks to come and we learn how, you know, how to handle them. We learn how to bear more. That, that really helps. The, the third thing here is encouraging friends strengthens us. And you see, the people of God, they banded together to pull this off. People who challenge us, people who encourage us, those who remind us, hey, you're not alone. Friends have a unique way of kind of pulling us out of the dread that we find ourselves in. That's why God created community. That's why He, he, he allows us to do life together so we wouldn't try to just tackle projects by ourselves. Finally, this last thing here on the back is Nehemiah, we see him pushing through. He pushed through the challenges by relying on God. Nehemiah, he faced opponents. We're just kind of skimming the book of uh, the first part of the book of Nehemiah, but there was there was opponents on the inside and there was opponents on the outside. He had to try to rally people to rebuild this city. That was really really tricky thing to do because the the you know the people of or the Jewish people who were there started getting tired as they were rebuilding in the process. They were tired and some of them were like, look, our hands hurt. Or we're not going to make it. There's just too much work to be done here. And then there were people from the outside. There were opponents that began to criticize them. There were opponents that were threatening to attack them at, at any point. And so, <clears throat> Nehemiah just said, look, we got to push through. We may have to defend ourselves, but let's just keep rebuilding. And... The dread that you're facing right now, it may not involve a situation like Nehemiah where you're like, man, he's trying to rebuild a city wall. My life is very, very different. But you, you also face opposition in your life. You face a, a list of duties and responsibilities. And a lot of times, the thoughts of dread that come upon our mind are just overwhelming. And so, whatever the case is, Nehemiah he just shows us the right perspective. Look at verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14, he says, this is where there's all this opposition to the work. In verse 14, he says, I looked around and I arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people. This is like mid-work. He's, do not be afraid of them. There's this opposition. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He just He sets their eyes far above the problems and the conflict and the and the pressure. And he just says, this is a great reminder. Remember the Lord. Don't be afraid of them. Fight. Do what you need to do to rebuild. And as we do this over time in our lives, if we just rely on God, He leads us beyond the dread. For you to apply that to your own life and the things you're facing right now, you're just going to have to figure out, okay, what is it that's on my plate? What is it that I'm responsible for? How can I really turn to God, ask Him for help, get my mind around this, get some input from others? I don't know what this looks like for you, but as, as we do this, God really comes through as we rely on Him. 
God helps us with these different sources of dread. Whether it's you're in a fight you feel like you can't win or you're just pushing papers and you feel like this is just meaningless stuff. There's a very another very comforting verse that comes with the command that God gives to a different leader about 700 years before. This is to Joshua. God gave this command as he's about to lead God's people into what seemed like another dreadful experience. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God, He is with you wherever you go. This is how God helps. He walks into every circumstance with us. And He promises. He promises to not leave us. He promises to bring good. Not that it's all going to be good, but but good through even some of the pressure and through some of the pain. But if we set ourselves to be faithful at our work, at our home, if we push through the weariness, the discouragement, the papers, whatever it is, He gives you the courage, the confidence that you need to face whatever it is you're facing in your life. God wants to lead you beyond the dreadful things you might be experiencing. So I want to invite our worship team to come back up as we wrap up. I want to ask you to take out that connection card. On the, on the top of the next steps, you'll see this. Read through Nehemiah to get more guidance from his example. Sometimes you read the Old Testament stories and, and you're like, I'm not quite sure how this fits into my life. Hopefully, as I've looked at just kind of the high points of the first part of Nehemiah, as you read this for yourself, there's some things... As I've walked through Nehemiah through the years in my quiet time, every time I go through the book of Nehemiah, there's something different that God seems to be speaking to me as I read that story. Because I'm in a different point of my life every season, or every time I approach this book. And so, I'd encourage you, read through the book of Nehemiah, get a little more um, personally acquainted with him as as a leader and just the scenario they're facing. And then, maybe create a plan to start over in the face of dread. Assess, assess the mess that you might be facing right now in your life and get started. Let, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank You for the stories that serve as examples, Lord, to keep going. Many Many times we hit points, God, that we just feel like giving up and throwing in the towel. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to keep going, Lord. I know that doesn't come from mustering up strength internally, but it comes from really releasing control to you and really just asking you for help and then walking in your strength. And so, God, I pray you provide that. For those here that are just at that point of even the breaking point or the burnout point, Lord, I pray that they would turn to You and that You would be their strength and strengthen their hands, Lord, for the life that You have called them to live. Recognize we need Your help here, God. Thank You for each person here, Lord. Thank You for the work You're doing in them. Lord, it's encouraging as I was sitting, listening to John's uh, sharing about our ministry teams and thinking about the many people whose hands are involved in in our church and and really contributing through their lives and through their service to help us 
lead people to you, people who are far from you, Lord, that can come to know you. And so many people pitch in to make that happen. So we just, I just thank you, God, for, and I praise you for your work in all of our lives, Lord, for uniting us as a team to be at that together, Lord. Pray you continue to build us towards your kingdom purposes and help us to continue to work together, God, with the right attitudes. We ask you for continued strength, Lord, as we do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.